I wish I would have done another take of the one last week because because I felt like I, I sound like I was half asleep. But I, I I may have actually been half asleep. When we it's that comfy it. chair you're sitting in. I know you you do look pretty comfortable. <laughs> I am very comfortable. <laughs> From St. Louis, Missouri, this is Strangers to Fiction, a podcast about documentary storytelling. My name is Bill Streeter. And my name is Jacob McIndoller, and this week we watched the 2012 film produced and narrated by Keanu Reeves, Side by Side. Are you done with film? Don't hold me to it, Keanu, but I think I am. We are going through a very significant and large transition in cinema. And the digital process democratizes the whole thing. I think without digital video, I don't think I ever would have been making movies. Basically in my head I was like, you've got to be like a dude who knows how to operate machines to do this job. I'm always looking for whatever is new to help just push the art form even further. To be able to make the things that you couldn't envision the day before. There isn't yet a superior or even an equal imaging technology to film, but we're being forced into transition. You can't shoot 3D on film. So film has been dead in my heart for 10 years. I hate 3D. I put on those glasses, I get sick to my stomach. The whole 3D phenomenon, it's a marketing scheme, isn't it? I really felt I should call film on the phone and say I've met someone, because I really thought, okay, this is the future. The issue is it's different. How is it different than how do you use it to tell a story? It's up to the filmmaker. So this week we're gonna talk about side by side and uh, we've done this before in the past but something that Bill and I like to do and we're very excited about doing is bringing on other documentary filmmakers and letting them choose a film to talk about. So that's what we're going to do this week. And today we have a guest. Our guest is Justin Fisher. Justin, I noticed, by the way, first of all, welcome. Uh, Thank you. I noticed you're officially billed as Justin L. Fisher. Is that how you prefer to be referred to? Or No. <laughs> it's not how I prefer to be referred to, but I started doing that uh, because of music credits, actually. So um, there's another Justin Fisher out there who was in the band Nerf Herder. Sure, I, I remember that. Bass player name. for the band Nerf Herder. So um, there's about ten years ago, maybe less. There was very few places to find credits. Um, you know, when things go away from CDs and you can't look at the liner notes, uh, it's harder to tell who worked on what. So there's very few places, and there's one website called AllMusic.com. And I clicked on my name and noticed that, like, there were a bunch of my credits in the other Justin Fisher's uh, page oh, and a bunch of his credits on my page. And it was just a big mess. Yeah. So I started inserting and telling all my clients to put my middle initial and everything to kind of prevent that from happening. Differentiate yourself from yeah. the other guy. And yeah, you've got a name that is that's not completely common, but it's common yeah, enough that there exactly. could be confused yeah. for somebody else. Uh, so. so it's not a pretentious thing by any stretch. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, anyway, well, welcome. So, luckily for us, there aren't that many uh, Jacob Mackendollers or Bill Streeters in the world. So we've <laughs> no. In fact, I know for a fact there's not another Jacob Mackendoller yeah. in the there world. There are other Bill Streeters in the world, but not too many of them like working in media. So, yeah. Well, before we jump into the film that we're going to talk about, which is side by side, um, Justin, your film just came out, recording in mm-hmm. progress. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that before we uh, jump into the other film? Yeah, so um, it's kind of a, a labor of love. I'm not a filmmaker by trade, I guess. You are now. Uh, I am now. <laughs> so this is the first film I made, and uh, it's one of those write what you know kind of scenarios. Mm-hmm. So I worked as a audio recording engineer for almost 20 years now and um, kind of got this idea after some other engineers were sharing old war stories. And I'm like, man, I really should kind of document this. And originally it started out as an idea about doing a film specifically pertaining to St. Louis recording studios. And eventually I kind of started getting more and more interviews. And I'm like, well, why am I limiting myself? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Nobody's going to watch this thing, you know, except for a handful of people in St. Louis. Um, so it kind of blossomed from there. And, and, it became a lot greater project than I ever thought it would. Um, but yeah, it's it's basically a, a, a documentary about recording studios specifically and kind of how people are recording now, but also it kind of deals with the music business and, uh, you know, how people are making money now compared to how they used to mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, everything that, that surrounds that. And it's not indicative of the audio business specifically or music specifically i mean obviously this film is, is specifically about that but it's it's a problem that's kind of endemic uh, in multiple forms of media it's it's a technological i i, I got to say i mentioned this to you earlier but i haven't had a chance to watch it yet i wanted to see it mm-hmm. this week but i haven't seen it yet um my, my understanding is a little bit about uh technology's impact on the recording industry yeah, yeah what's the log line yeah, you got a got a got a quick log line for us. Oh, you're gonna you're gonna put me on the spot. Yeah, I, I wrote one like six months ago, and uh, uh, yeah, I got my elevator pitch. I should have but that. It's, rattling but it's generally off the top about uh, the digitization of the audio business, not just recording, but uh, more, also yeah, but more so on the distribution side. I mean, yeah, it does okay. it does go into kind of the history of of recording and how yeah. that, but it doesn't spend a lot of time on it, you know. But yeah, yeah it, it does go. And how's the into, reception been? What kind of reception? Have you, I know I know it's out there now. You, you're on. A yeah, 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 it just and... came out a couple of weeks ago, and yeah, I mean, it's been a lot better than than I ever anticipated. And oh, I was joking last week that I've already sold more copies of my film than I ever sold copies of my own music as a musician. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fantastic, man. That's, that's great. Yeah. Uh, so, are you did did you do a, a, a hard copy release at all, or did you just do a straight kind digital? Kind of. Um, the distro we are being distributed by uh, Gravitas Ventures, mm-hmm. and uh, they did that's like great. short runs yeah. on Amazon. So okay. it, you can buy physical copies, but they're not like mass produced. They're uh, Blu-ray and know. DVD, or just Blu-ray. Blu-ray and DVD, yes. Yeah, but I'm, the majority I'm of it's I'm kind of surprised. I still sold a lot of DVDs of my movie. Yeah, I remember um, you telling me that. It slowed down in the last couple of years, but I still get orders, and I have another mm-hmm. DVD that I produced for public television that I continually get orders yeah, for that I have awesome. to keep in stock. So, um, 
it's uh so it's uh kind of strange to me that it's still like i don't have a dvd player so yeah um, it, it took me a long time to get to that point and i think i'm finally at that point i i just packed up all of my dvds last year oh. um i still own them uh but yeah. i just packed I just them packed up, up because i digitized everything covid when that was what i did i cleaned up the basement oh. <laughs> <laughs> a bunch, went through project. a bunch of old shit and yeah. yeah so that was i probably would have never gotten around to it if it wasn't for that but um anyway your move so i haven't seen your movie either even though i've known you've been i i remember actually giving you some advice on this movie mm-hmm. when you were working on it so yeah a couple years back. um yeah so it's very you know i i need to see it uh i'll probably go rent it so you get the money and um <laughs> well i appreciate that or maybe i'll buy it even um <laughs> but uh so it's on all the major platforms gravitas mm-hmm. that's great how do you get on gravitas how, how do they... um so scott stoltz is my uh producer um of scs studio films and okay. he's you know he's been working hard on it for many cool. years and we had a couple deals in place and uh i actually had a deal uh not a deal but a, a contract that we were looking at before the film was even finished mm-hmm. um and it just just looking over it it wasn't <laughs> very yeah. good yeah so we passed on that and then we passed on another deal after that uh, after speaking with another filmmaker that had kind of a similar film to mine, and yeah. I asked him kind of what his experience was with that company, he's like, uh, I don't know if I'd do it again if I could. Yeah. Hmm. Um, but yeah, we we eventually stumbled upon uh, Gravitas, and uh, Porter Pictures is uh, the company who sold it for cool. us. Um, so yeah, it's it's it's, uh, been, it's been really good. I um. It, it's always interesting to see how people end up distributing. I think mm-hmm. my, I, I can't imagine that any of these deals that anybody gets these days are huge money anyway. But um, yeah. I think what you want to protect yourself with when it comes to those deals is if the, if the film turns into be, turns into a sleeper hit, you want to be able to get some kind of percentage of that yeah, exactly. revenue, I think. And um, so um, a lot of these places will just try to give you a flat rate for the just to buy it out the rights outright or something. Yeah, and with and docs, would, it's always hard to, yeah. you know. I would never go for a deal like that. But it sounds like your film might have even been inspired by the film that you picked to watch tonight. I don't a, know if that's little, true or a not. A little, but, yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's definitely in yeah. the same vein, that's for sure. Okay. Yeah, I was, I was yeah. going to make that, but before we before we get into that, Bill said it's on every major platform. I know it's on Amazon. It's on iTunes. Yep. Uh, Google Play, Vudu. But not Netflix, right? Not Netflix. No, Netflix has been increasingly harder to mm-hmm. get on these days. Yeah, they're more, they cure, They get, for the indie stuff, I think. They yeah, and, and a lot of their own content, yeah. obviously. So yeah. obviously that that's the golden goose for many people, but it's increasingly harder to yeah. to get your stuff on that platform now. But yeah, pretty much all the, all the other major major ones and even some uh cable companies too on their uh pay pay-per-view it's now. on their I guess they don't call then. it pay pay-per-view now anymore but yeah well that's awesome if you if you listen to this podcast go out and find it it's called recording in progress uh available now right available mm-hmm. everywhere right yep awesome and i i've known you uh, we, we don't know each other that well, but we've known each other for, for a, really a long, long time, really long time. <laughs> and uh, so I definitely wish you success with it. I yeah, hope you I sell a ton it. of copies. Uh, so let's talk about the film that you wanted to talk about today, which Bill kind of alluded to it already. But mm-hmm. definitely I, I saw the parallels there between your film and this film side by side. Uh, 
from 2012. What made you pick this one? Um, well, I I watch documentaries more kind of for education than anything. I mean, I think a lot of people do, but also there has to be some entertainment value too. And and for me, I'm I've always been a big film fan, and this movie kind of it, you know it's a film about films, mm-hmm. and also you have a, a little behind the scenes element to it. And I've always kind of enjoyed watching like how the sausage is made for lack of a better term, you know? So you have kind of both of those things going. It's a, it's a film about films and it's kind of got some behind the scenes stuff as well. But it, it also, when I watch it, it helps me think about all the films that I love and makes me want to rewatch them as well. Um, Cause sometimes you forget about you know, what you liked about certain films. And until you see clips of it or people talking about it, that kind of reignites that spark a little bit. And this this movie definitely does that for me. And, and obviously one of the direct parallels or, or some somewhat direct parallels between your film and this film is that Side by Side really explores the transition um, from in the film industry from, from film mm-hmm. to digital. And, yeah. uh, and, and it's... It's hosted and narrated by Keanu Reeves, and it it, it has some very big names, big hitters yeah. in the filmmaking industry that are that are interviewed. Um, I I hadn't seen it before, but I found it really interesting to, um, to especially because we're talking about this film in 2020. Yeah, and this film was released in 2012. Like so much has happened. So I know eight they, years ago, it's already eight years old. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and that was uh, and at that time that the transition between between pure film to where filmmaking was in 2012 or probably mm-hmm. 2011, whenever this film was actually shot, yeah, and then now is a, is a huge difference. Yeah, probably. it was in its infancy back then, pretty mm-hmm. much, you know, and now it's hardly anybody shooting film anymore at this point. Well, that, and that's actually I, I kind of watched this a little bit with my wife, and that was her first question is. I kind of explained to her what the premise was, and she said, "Well, does anybody actually shoot on film anymore?" Yeah. <laughs> they do. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, and I know that there are there are people still who probably it's, do. It's very it's becoming very rare and be less necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't know. It's it's a, this. I like this film just from its educational point of view, and I think this would be a great film to show somebody who doesn't understand the film pro like film students mm-hmm. i think this is like a film that yeah. every like first year film student should watch because it's really important for them to understand yeah. on a, on a larger of, scale not yeah. like making independent films and, and this did feel like an educational film to me more than some of the other films that we normally review we talk mm-hmm. about here we we kind of go after films that are really stories as much story as driven, those are the ones yeah. that we sure. like story driven yeah. documentaries um so this is a little i mean but you know it's a documentary and we, we were just talking last week about how there's so many different genres and subgenres of documentaries. So this is one no, of them. Trust, trust me. Is, I had a yeah. very hard time when you guys came to me with this uh, idea. Yeah. <laughs> really hard so, time going through that. Yeah. So, but this is like, I could see how this is relevant to the film that you made as well and how this would have mm-hmm. been an inspiration and you not necessarily being a geek about documentary films, you know, wanting him, sort of get a story out there about yeah. how digitization has affected your industry. 
Um, but it's affecting everybody's industry and it's not just like the mediums that we record things on. Mm -hmm. It's like robotics and everything else is, you know, it's disrupting everything. So, but you know, um, I think it's, uh, I think it's, to me, I had, I knew all this stuff. I think I've seen chunks of this film before. So it wasn't like, I found it personally a little boring. (laughs) Well, I was going to say, Only Bill, because I'm so familiar with this topic. Well, I was going to say, yeah. you sort of lived through this, though. Yeah. I mean, you sort of, you know, I would say yeah. of of everybody here in terms of I've lived through it, I've argued it, through it, right? I've, you know, uh, you were probably I mean, sitting have... around in 2011 or 2012 arguing about what was better, film or digital. Well, <laughs> really, I mean, I think it was. I think people understood even like. I would say only just recently has digital sort of gotten to the point where it's about as good as film, mostly. Mm-hmm. Um, but in 2011, I don't think anybody was trying to say that digital at the time was as good as film, but we could all see where it was going and it was going to be there. And I don't there know. There are of- people in this film who, who, who practically say that. Yeah. You know, um, um, Steven Soderbergh basically says, you know, I wanted to call, he says, I think his quote was, I wanted to call up film and tell them I met somebody else. And, and <laughs> yeah. I, I think he was talking about when he yeah. saw footage of the red one made yes. of the red, yeah. Yeah. you know. So even at that point, they were saying like, ah, uh, you know, we're, we're there, you know, we're yeah, already I think there. That, you're right. I think that was the first camera that he had come across that was like, okay, now I, I'm finally yeah. convinced. Yeah. I think though, really, even though, I don't think that those, even those cameras, the the red one and those cameras at the time, they were getting really close, but they weren't quite film quality yet. Mm-hmm. But we knew it was only a couple more generations before everything was pretty yeah. close. Yeah, I think George know? Lucas kind of said that too in there where like we are at the top of the photochemical process, yeah. right, but we're right. at the very bottom of the digital process. Yeah. So and he said, got, I think he, we can he only said, he said, so you got to jump off of the photochemical and help push the other one yep. forward and move, that, move exactly. that forward, which obviously he was a big part in doing that. Yeah, I know. I, I think I knew this a while ago, but it, it kind of reiterated that I, however much flack everyone gives George Lucas for obvious reasons, um, it, it's pretty impressive the impact he had on the film community at large. Uh, I didn't realize that his edit droid became avid basically <laughs> yeah in addition to he was to, definitely a pusher he i mean yeah. he pushed the boundaries of the technology of the medium and definitely should deserves full credit for that yeah and a lot of the digital innovations case in point avid media pixar that pixar software that they do the 3d modeling and they made it mm-hmm. into a uh uh, I think it's either freeware. You can get a free version of it and then upgrade later or something. But it's a 3D modeling tool that they pioneered. They did all that early stuff. Um, that's so con- you know so much a part of everyday media production now. You know so yeah. I think yeah, I just he definitely found out. deserves all that credit and yeah. more. You know so I just found out he had uh, was a part of or created Pixar like I think just last year. I had no, no idea. really yeah 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 it, that came out of ILM too. Pixar started out as an ILM project, and uh, they spun it off into its own thing. Th- and uh, thank them for that, but not yeah. uh, episodes one through three. <laughs> well, I think that's kind of what a lot of people's argument. It's not his contribution is a, a lot of it has been technological rather than in the storytelling. <laughs> Obviously, well, he, he got his breakthrough in the storytelling, you know, in in, in the in Star Wars and you know the early ones. But um, I mean, he. 
you know, I mean, I, I understand why people, I mean, I'm not a huge Star Wars fan, so the, it, I'm not as invested in this as other people are. Maybe you guys are, but um, I mean, he, if it wasn't for him, they wouldn't be Star Wars anyway. So, you know, yeah, I mean, course. no matter how he, what he did to the franchise later on, whatever you dislike about it, I mean, mm-hmm. it wouldn't even exist if it wasn't for him. So I don't know. So. This is true. But I do, I do like the fact that, you know, one of the things that I, I find exciting ab- about this movie and about seeing yours, Justin, is I think I've always been a, a bit of a technologist before anything else. Like I can remember mm-hmm. when I was in college, you're talking 96, 97, um, taking film classes. And at the time, even then, we knew digital was, was coming in some way, right? I mean, we knew mm-hmm. something was coming. And yet I was forced to sit in a you know in a studio cutting up little eight millimeter films and taping them back together manually and even at the time i hated it and i was like i know that this the technology is going to push this into a space where it's going to become much easier because i was already at the time like working as a graphic designer so i knew kind of where computers were going with this stuff so i liked anybody like that like that I was trained like that in film too. Like I know. I, I yeah. went to film school and I was But I, hate, I hated it though. I hated <laughs> I it. I so loved it. Did you? I hated it. I loved it. I f- fucking loved it. And I would so much rather be a film student now than back then. Yeah. I I think there was value in learning editing the way I learned it because really um, it, it was very rudimentary technically. Um, it was literally, I think it helps it changes the way you think about how you put together a story when you think about like scenes as little strips of film that you have to paste yeah. together. Um, and you're thinking and, a bit of it more linearly too. I guess. I mean, it was non-linear in that you could take, you know, you'd have like big strips of film hanging there and you would mm-hmm. take one scene and another scene and put them together or whatever. Um, so it was very non-linear in that sense. But yeah, once you got a track down then yeah, it was linear. But I think, learning to think about how to put together something in a very methodical physical way like that is 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 important for i don't think it's necessary but it's a it's i think it's helpful for how you think about how to put together stories later on i when i was teaching uh i taught at webster for a long time this is the first year i actually haven't taught but um I had a lot of students that what? <laughs> I say congratulations. You don't <laughs> yes. have to teach this year. <laughs> <laughs> so I had a lot of students of mine that I kind of have to explain to them like why the software is laid out the way it is, mm-hmm. you know, because yeah. it's like it's meant to mimic a tape machine and a console. Yeah, the metaphors, yeah. This is why it it looks like that, yeah. you know, and without learning that history, you have no idea why, well, why does yeah, every single DAW the thing, look though, the same? I totally understand why those kids think that's unnecessary because really, well, I and think I it's notice unnecessary. It, and it, yeah, and I think software has gotten to the point now where they're not using those old metaphors. They're trying not to mm-hmm. use old metaphors yeah. anymore for yeah. things in software interfaces. And I think that um, once you sort of like, uh, lift yourself out of that way of thinking with those old metaphors where you have reels and takes and stuff yep. like that. Um, it, it's kind of frees you up for a whole new way of thinking about how to edit film and how to mm-hmm. look at things technically. And that's one of the things that upset so many people yeah. about Final Cut Pro 10 when it came out 
because that's included. what they did. They dropped all the old metaphors and said, yep. no, this is a digital workflow. You yep. do not work with reels. You do not work with whatever. You bring in whole cards and you have to be able to sort that data, that footage uh, mm -hmm. in a very efficient way. And that's what they created. And I think it threw a lot of people off as old, old timers, really people like me who learned how to edit on film. It, that metaphor, not dropping those metaphors, threw us for a loop but like the young kids who've never dealt with film that made perfect mm -hmm. sense to them because it was a way of thinking about digital media yeah so i don't know i didn't mean to get on a tangent about that <laughs> but i think that that it's both important i think just in terms of a storytelling point of view and just i think it does help you to think about it technically but you have to be you shouldn't be so married to that idea of working and i think that's what a lot of this film was they talked about like a lot of filmmakers talked about Digital just gives you so much more flexibility in how you approach the art of making a story visually, you know, um, especially when they got into those really small cameras and stuff. Um, yeah. And, and that's the, I think I don't have a lot of love for that, the old timers holding on to the old technology. And in this film, it seems like there was a lot of people that were split between, uh, traditionalist you know there were people mm -hmm. saying that i'm gonna be the last guy to ever shoot on film and things like that and people who are embracing the technology um, and it wasn't necessarily the old guys who were um anti-digital either it wasn't you know? but I, I think i don't know in in some ways when the technology when, when when you're working with film for example and it's probably true in the the music industry and other industries but when you're working with a film with film that's it's a difficult medium to work in and you need a tremendous amount of resources in order yeah. to work into it. And to me, I don't like that. It almost begins to feel like an old boys club where you go, mm -hmm. well, if you don't, you know, you're not allowed into this without certain credentials and things like that, where I liked seeing the, where the technology moved it to where you had these guys that they kept talking about. I believe it was in Sweden. I think it was in Sweden. They were talking about. Yeah. The, the Dogma 95 guys. Yeah. And, and, and how they were just, they were just taking this, this, this early digital technology and just doing innovative things that they would have never yeah. been able to do. No, number one, they wouldn't have been able to do them because the cameras were too cumbersome and things like that. But they also wouldn't have been able to do them because they wouldn't have had access to them probably financially because they didn't have the resources for them. So it opened it up to to a whole new group of people to, in order to be able to create. Yeah, an uh, interesting scene uh, from the film that I kind of latched onto because I'm such a, well, used to be a huge zombie film fanatic and I don't know and not not so much anymore but <laughs> that's neither here nor there but uh 28 days later yeah and I didn't realize that uh that was shot a lot of that was shot <laughs> on digital and yeah they it was mini a big, tv it a was big I remember when that it. movie came out it was like a big deal oh they shot this Hollywood movie and on uh on uh mini dv those, yeah what was it the, and looking back the on it, it's like oh it yeah that does that does not look very good anymore now that i yeah. see it with with fresh eyes but but it yeah, they were saying they had I to block it London works streets. i think it works it definitely works for the the what they're trying to convey there i think for that film yes. i think it worked yeah. correct that and that's what, probably why i gave it a pass back then because it didn't yeah. bother me at all but, but yeah, they, they still managed to, like... to make that movie look pretty cinematic, even mm. for shooting DV, because they used sort of cinema lenses and yeah. things, I think, on it. Well, too. And this is an argument um, that, not argument, it's something that Bill and I mostly agree on, but that's something that we've discussed a lot on this podcast is it doesn't necessarily matter the technology that you're making. If the story is interesting enough, the person, the, the people that are watching it, 
are going to forgive certain things in the, in, in the filmmaking. You know, the story I think is the most important element of any film, but if you can support the story and really, this is really what it boils down to for me. If you can support this, if you have, I think the medium really has to fit the story that you're telling. Right. Mm -hmm. So the medium that you choose, and if you notice these guys, a lot of them were just experimenting with this stuff you know, 15 years ago, that was 28 days later, it was 2004 or five or something. So this is, Jeez, what's um, yeah. <laughs> so, um, it was a creative choice that fit the story sure. that, they, that he was telling. And I think that, um, that's really what you should go for. You shouldn't necessarily go for the most pristine image or the most beautiful image or, or the, whatever you pick the, the medium for the topic that you're, the story you're telling. And, and uh, you know, in documentary, you sometimes you don't get that choice. It depends on what the documentary is. But um, but uh, you know, you you go for you sort of have to think about the look you're going for and sort of like work through all those steps. You know, do you want this to look like that? Does that support the story you're telling? Because every element of a film should support the story that you're telling, including the medium that you choose to shoot it in. And it just so happens that 28 Days Later works great in mini DV. It looks like a post-apocalyptic future movie you know mm -hmm. like and uh which is what that story is so it worked very well but i don't know that like a you know uh one of what's his name <laughs> the guy that did titanic that was in this movie james cameron. Cameron. yeah james i don't think a james cameron movie would look good i, be, I see i bet so, james cameron could do a he really could good come film up, <laughs> he would only do it if, if the story fit that medium. exactly that's, that's how they would you know that's why he would do it you know so it's 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 not just one it's not like oh i'm just going for the best image it's like i'm going for the image that w works for this thing mm -hmm. you know so it's right a, cool for the J job. james cameron is a good example i think of what you might consider like that sort of old boys club who you know james cameron made avatar because he made yeah. titanic and he had enough money to make avatar you know where yeah, he's a yeah he, he's a definitely like he he's known for making a certain level high level of film yeah but if you're i always think about myself and other young filmmakers when when i was kind of coming up to college and and wanting to make films and stuff and um and so much of what limited what we could do it was all about budget you know yeah. like when we sat down to to write something the first consideration in your mind was well i mean i can't do that because we're not going to have a budget to to do anything like that where now i feel like because those budget restrictions are are you know they're so much lower that it opens it up for a lot more creative people for more people to be creative in more ways now they make there's one guy in this film who makes the argument and a lot of people do that goes well there's just more garbage now and and i get it but you know in like in anything the like cream, there, the cream like there wasn't the always like 95 percent of shit that's out anyway isn't mostly garbage right and the cream yeah. rises to the top you know the really yeah. good stuff is going to get noticed and it's going to yeah. get spread around but at least you're there's that much more good to, stuff you know yeah exactly yeah and it's not specific to film either. I mean, somebody made that exact same comparison in, in my film where it's like, well, yeah, now, you know, the technology's cheaper. Everybody's recording in their basement and there's a lot of shit out there. You sure. gotta sort through the shit. But I, I think there, who made that point? I, I remember somebody making that point in the film, but um, they were basically saying that the distribution is or the there's got to be some gatekeeper there you know with films that say this is the good stuff 
mm-hmm. and present it to you well, first. Well, it's funny you know? because at the time that this film was made, it was, I would say, you know, 2012 would have been sort of the last gaffes of, of uh, non-Netflix-dominated Hollywood. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know? I don't know how else to put it, but... Netflix, really, that's one of the things in terms of distribution, that's one of the things that's really sort of uh, happened since this movie came out is that Netflix sort of dominates Hollywood now. They're the biggest player in Hollywood. But I, th- and, I think we've almost seen them, them come and go now at this point where there's, well, there's yeah. a lot of other I mean, players who are mimicking what they The landscape, again, is changing. But, I, but, it's, but you know, we're kind of going through another shift, I think, away from Netflix, mm-hmm. maybe. I don't know. But, um, but, I, th- but I think that, Netflix, the whole Netflixization of Hollywood happened after this movie came out. So it's like, mm-hmm. there's, there, there are digital gatekeepers now, and it's not, you know, it's yeah, not um, the traditional players anymore. They're just different. Well, I felt know. like in this film, like to, right towards the end, I, I'm pretty sure there's a couple of people that talk about Netflix, and they mm-hmm. almost yeah. portray Netflix as the the arbiters of taste in the, the like the digital distribution of movies. Right? They're like, okay, well, Netflix is now going to decide you know, who gets yeah. to see the great movies or, or what great movies yeah. people get to see. And in a way they do. I mean, for, for my film, for example, it's exactly the same because it, it's on Amazon, but it's not on that like front page scroll. Mm-hmm. So many people might not even go it past probably that. never will be. Yeah. So if they're not going to go past that front page scroll, then in a way the, the distributors... Amazon, Netflix, whoever, they are kind of acting as those gatekeepers because they're showing you through their algorithm who you're going yeah. to or what you're going to watch. So I know that Netflix uses an algorithm. They're very everything Netflix does is very algorithm focused. At least that's their their story. And uh I I know that they do they don't really supposedly they don't really curate their front page. They have algorithms that sort of favor their own content mm-hmm. probably but um that sort of are tailored to the people who are watching they try to determine what your tastes are and they use algorithms to sort of feed you more stuff that you like um where i don't know that i don't know that amazon i think there's a little algorithmic stuff going on amazon i don't know if it's curated i know itunes is curated mm-hmm. itunes they have human editors it's there's no algorithm or at least that i'm at least that's the way it was last time i knew um so iTunes, not iTunes. What do they call it now? Apple TV is is yeah. not curated. So um, they may be doing some AI stuff now with their um, with the since Apple TV came out. But iTunes for a long time was human curated. So um, it's interesting. The, yeah, the way the gatekeepers are now, it's the algorithms. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so. It is, and even I mean, you know, even uh, YouTube. You know, I mean, it's not, it, it, you don't get like feature films released on YouTube, but my documentary, that's where I released that, you know, mm-hmm. is on YouTube. And yeah. and, and unless, you know, and it's it's a lot of- But Google that's is a lot getting of, into that business though, too. They, they do have their own rental service right. and stuff on there now too, so. But just with YouTube in particular, you know, I'm, I made a documentary that has in general to do with cults. So if you're somebody who's like into cults and stuff and you watch a lot of YouTube videos on cults, my documentary might get recommended to you. If mm. you're if if you're not, you may never come across it. You know, it would be it'd be hard pressed to probably even find it unless you typed in a specific search for it. Um, 
I'm not a fan of the whole algorithm thing for with through Netflix, and it's not just Netflix. Is all most of the major platforms do it? Hulu, yep. Disney Plus, I'm sure does it. Um, you know, I feel like it drives me to things that that I don't like. You know, it's showing me if, <laughs> just because I like the dog whisperer yeah, doesn't mean all I want to do is watch dog shows. You know, it's, it's like <laughs> I found the Netflix uh, recommendations to me oddly awful. Good. Good? They're awful yes, for me. For me, very good. <laughs> Somehow Netflix figured me out. The the algorithm that YouTube has, I hate. Oh, it's I awful. hate the algorithm on YouTube. Because if I watch so I I'm a very not like right wing dude, but like I do go on YouTube and like look at right wing stuff just to see what they're saying. And like next thing you know, I'm getting like <laughs> fucking the worst of the worst like right-wing conspiracy theory oh. like like you hear you want to watch more of this no i don't want to. i just that's, i was curious that's so funny curious. that you mentioned that because i had that exact same experience today where i came across something from joe rogan i think it was an interview with like billy corgan or something like that mm -hmm. and uh and then all the stuff started coming up on the right side and i can understand how people go down that rabbit hole now because YouTube does it, they do it automatically. Yeah, I mean, like but they my don't stepdad, differentiate anything. Like they don't, you know, like if you no watch a Joe Rogan video, they it. think you want to watch every Joe Rogan yeah. video ever made. They don't go like, yeah. well, maybe you, if no you like nuance to it. Yeah, they if you to, like, they need to figure out some kind of way of like mixing it up a little bit. My stepdad you know? like, was not political at all, like not too long ago, and now he he's very political, and I I think that has something to do with it. It's just like that content being fed to people. Mm -hmm. that just makes them kind of go down that rabbit hole and just keep watching stuff that's related to, you know, what's on their algorithm. And yeah. I, I don't right, know if it's necessarily good or bad, but, you know, it's we're, reality We're going off now. on a bit of a tangent, but I, I think you're both right. Justin, you were talking about with your film where your film is not necessarily about the, and again, I haven't seen it yet, but not necessarily about the history of, of music production, but also now talking about the way it's distributed because what technology has done is it's not only changed the way that that different forms of art are made, like films and music, but it's also changed the way that we, we consume, consume them, them and the yep. way that they're, yeah, the, the way that they're distributed. So, yep. and that makes a big difference because if somebody like you with a new film, you're trying to get it out in front of as many people as possible, um, and you've got to kind of figure out that gauntlet of different things that's going to get people to see it. Mm -hmm. you know? And and the the marketing. <laughs> that also ensues with that kind of thing, you know, and I'm, I'm my own marketing person, really. Right. And, uh, ugh, uh, doing that's all, all that digital. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I can remember, um, thinking about like what a digitized, non-centralized, uh, film industry would be like years ago. Um, because I think a lot, you know, anybody paying attention would have seen it coming. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the reasons I got into like web design originally, like as I used to do like sort of front end web design back in the early 90s or mid 90s up till 2001 or so. Um, the reason I got into that is because I, I, I was a, I had gone to film school earlier and I want, I knew that the, like the future of film distribution was on the internet somehow. So I wanted to be working in the internet industries. And it's interesting that we're here now and like, it's a lot different than I expected it to be. I mean, there is some, what they call the democratization of the of media. And that's what you see on YouTube in a lot of ways, but it's a lot different than what I thought it would be back then. It's I thought a lot it would messier, be more. It seems like. Yeah. yeah. 
No, and I, I found that same kind of situation not only in in film where I can watch almost any film that I want to watch, but also with music too. Where like I remember shooting when, uh, when Jake and I were working at CompUSA together. I remember having the thought. I, I specifically remember having the thought like right around when iPods came out was, mm-hmm. man, I really wish there was a service I could pay for monthly that I could access any music that I want to play ever. And it happened. We have mm-hmm. that now. And now that we have it, I don't like it. Yeah, no. because it's harder to figure out what you, you want to listen to. You can't determine what to listen to. I, I get in my car and I sit there staring at my phone for five minutes with my car on going, what do I want to listen to? I could listen yeah. to literally anything and I can't figure something out so I end up defaulting back to my stupid 80s playlist over and over again right that's what I do the, I, like, I do the same thing I, I like uh, the one thing that Apple's done with uh, their music service is that you can just they if you listen to things over time it starts to build up your taste mm-hmm. and it's an algorithm They're, but Spotify algorithm. does that as well I mean I use Spotify yeah. and they, I they just, do that I, I just get in the car and, and say hey play me some music and and that's that's usually what I go with. Yeah, you know, it's usually okay. But I miss so. that having. I've got thirty CDs in my car. These are the thirty choices that I have when I take off, and yeah. it makes it a heck of a lot. You easier. have that one that you play over and over yeah. again, which I still do. There's still records that like I'll ask. You know, it's more like I ask Siri to play me a certain record mm-hmm. or something, and I'll listen to that over and over again. You know. So. Well, I wonder if that's not sort of the big thing that a lot of people didn't see coming like i think you're right bill that a lot of people saw that you know most media becoming digital in some way you know being produced digitally being distributed digitally but i don't think a lot of people saw how overwhelming that amount of choice would become Mm -hmm. you know like yeah i've heard people talk about this and this happens to me all the time and it just really relates to what you're saying justin is i will turn on the tv and i'll i'll open netflix and i'll just flip through things do options until I get bored and I'll turn it off and walk away and never end up watching anything. <laughs> you know, I don't actually ever yeah. pick anything to watch because there's so much. Because I, you know, in my house we've got uh, we've got Netflix, we've got uh, Hulu, we've got Disney Plus, we've got Amazon Prime. So there's just so much. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's great because I have access to everything, but having access to everything is a bit overwhelming. You know, it's yeah. unlike it's unlike when I was coming up when I was in in college and I would go to Blockbuster Video and, and rent something. It's like, well, I've seen that one. I've seen that one. What what have I not seen? These are the choices that I have and I'm limited to these choices. Yeah. And that made it so a little bit easier to settle on. So it makes it a lot harder to, to find something you enjoy. You know, it's funny. It's like uh, the dream of the American dream, the American capitalist system is supposed to like bless us with as much choice as we could possibly think of, and then um, in reality, like all that choice kind of makes you. I think they've done studies on this. Like they they've proven that like when you have way more choices than you need to have, you're way more unhappy than if yeah. you only have one or two options. It's so funny. <laughs> so it's, it's like you eat at a buffet every night. Yeah. <laughs> So it's like nothing means anything if everything's available yeah. all the time. Which is probably why the so. office is so popular because like whenever like I can't uh, yeah. whenever I can't think of something to watch, I end up watching an episode of the yeah. office. Yeah. Something comforting like that. It's it's Yeah. I mean there's a yeah, there's shows there's a lot of shows like that, you know, that um I like watching I get you know, during the during the lockdown when I was just like up all night like watching T V, um, I felt like I was like twenty 21 years old again you know mm-hmm. like staying up all night watching tv but um 
<laughs> the uh uh, one of the things I started watching was like old, like they, on YouTube, there's these reels of old eighties, like TV commercials. Oh, <laughs> I've no. just watched those for like <laughs> hours. <laughs> My wife was just was... watching old, uh, the, the commercials they used to run in movie theaters the other day. They, oh, they, they, wow, they yeah. have a, they have a reel of that on like Disney plus or something where you can just sit yeah. and watch wow. <laughs> all the old. Yeah, I mean, sometimes from... though, like if that's what I, you know, I, often I will walk away if I can't find something to watch or I'll just turn on something stupid like that. Just watch the dumbest thing ever just to, you know, um, so. And so you look back at something like this, this film from 2012 and you see the discussions that they're having, but nobody really ever had that discussion. You know, at least not in this film, they didn't have the discussion of we're going to have so much choice that it's going to be overwhelming. Yeah, Yeah. It was a whole problem that they didn't, I don't think they necessarily even saw coming, you know? Um, and it, you know it's an economic there's an economic issue to it too you know in terms of you know there's a whole industry um, you know exhibition industry the theater industry um, that is probably I don't know if it's going to go away now just because of COVID yeah. or well, COVID's um, going to yeah it's, it can't it can't um, it was already on thin ice before now like I can't imagine that we aren't going to see a, a big cl- like batch of theater closures you know in the next six months or well they touched on that in this film at the very towards the very end end where they talked about you know you have your traditional guys saying oh i think that screen should be 80 feet tall and uh and then they transition to saying now we're seeing people watch movies on the subway on their phone right which you know i used to ride the subway every day and 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 every single person would be doing that where now it's just completely commonplace yeah Mm -hmm. you know it's funny i personally don't like to watch movies on a little i'll watch movies on my ipad um but i won't i don't like to watch movies on my phone but i watch a lot of video on my phone it's not but they're not film you know it's like tv or you know viral videos and stuff like that youtube i'll watch on my phone but if i want to watch a film film like if i just really want to be immersed in the film and sort of do that kind of escapism i want to watch it on my tv or at least on my ipad or on my ipad with headphones on but even that even on a tv or an ipad that's that's a far cry from a 40 foot screen oh yeah you know although home tvs relatively speaking you know distance to screen ratio i think it's it's pretty close and you know you're getting 4k tvs at home and they don't even have that many 4k projectors in theaters yet so um i think it's so uh, funny not not to sound creepy or anything but when i'm like driving down my street and there's you know it's dark outside so people's bright led tvs are glaring out of their window but like i drive mm -hmm. by and you see people's tvs take up like their entire wall like your house is 800 square feet and you bought a 80 freaking inch tv to put in yeah there. they have i mean 80 inch tvs are common now you know which is crazy to me i mean that relatively speaking and what i mean by relative like the ratio the size of the screen and the distance mm-hmm. you are from it that's pretty close to a theater experience at that point if you're like 10 feet away from a 60 inch or an 80 inch tv yeah. you know um so i have to say going, going into this film i was I, like I said, I'm I'm not a traditionalist by any means. You know, anything that technology can pu- push forward and and move more to the masses, masses, I'm I'm definitely in favor of. But I think this film was pretty balanced in in terms of it. It showed the people who were 
well, it, sh- it showed, first of all, where film came from, how it worked, and it showed the people who were in love with it and people who are in love with that process. But it also, I think, gave the, the digital experience a, a fair shot, you mm-hmm. know, where you had people say, I think it, it should be on an 80-foot screen, and you had people say, well, why not watch it on a on a phone if you can? Yeah. If that's the only way you get access yeah, to I it. Yeah, I do remember somebody was saying that, like, the the momentum of making films even is totally different in with film versus digital because um you had was it Joel Schumacher I think was saying that some of these actors now will insist on viewing like every single take <laughs> that they do yeah and it can slow the process down but like in film you you had to stop. You had to change magazines, and the whole mm-hmm. process was different. And even different. the director didn't really know what the frame was going to look yeah. like. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, it makes it easier for the filmmakers in that sense. But then, of course, there was there was also the argument in the film about um, your traditional DP or or cinematographer who would would as they framed it would kind of be the only person on set that yeah. really knew what was going to come out the next day. And now a lot of that work is going to a colorist who's who they just give him the film and he sits in in a studio and just kind of colors the film there rather than having to have it all perfectly shot the first time. And there was a kind of a, a power imbalance there where the I mean there was even one guy who was talking about it. he goes, The great thing about being a cinematographer is that whenever like a producer or some studio head comes on set, they all think that they can act. They all think that they can direct but they know they don't know how to shoot, you know? <laughs> so they just leave me alone and just let me sort of do my magic. Well, now I'm sure people are going to come in doing the same thing. You know, oh, I could I could do that same thing. So it's so very, very different. And I almost think that, you know, you're almost going to see an end to cinema, if you will, you know, of that, that term cinema of, mm. uh, you'll probably always see really massive productions, you know, because... Companies like Disney and like and you know big studios are going to still make those, but I don't think you know especially at, with the with after COVID and after just the digital revolution in general, I don't think you're going to see a whole lot more movie theaters around. You know everything now, many things now are being released at home at the same time that they're being released in theaters. Yeah. So yeah. A, a lot of that experience in general is just going away completely. You know the. You know, when we were all coming up, that's what you did with your friends on the weekend. You go out and you see a movie, or if you're going on a date, you take a girl to a movie. And uh, I think it was in the film, some girl was talking about now it's, you know, guy just says, hey, let's go back to my house and watch Netflix instead yeah. of going yeah. to the movies together. So Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. And, you know, you think, like, if we go through, you know, uh, a couple of years of this, you know, the COVID stuff, um, it's going to change the culture in ways that isn't going to favor um, the, you know, the the film exhibition business. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's it's only going to become less of a habit for if it was a habit at all for people before this. It's even going to be less of a habit yeah. now for. people. And I think American get, culture is, as time progresses, gets so short sighted in a way and doesn't necessarily care or remember how things used to be done. So yep. the more time progresses, the easier it is to forget about those kinds of things. If a year goes by, it's easier to forget how we used yeah, to do Yeah, a year things. or two. I mean, for a nine-year-old or a 10-year-old, you know, their dad used to take them to movies, and then suddenly for two years they can't go to the movies anymore. Like, suddenly, yep. like, that's On just not a thing, thing to do anymore, you know? Yep. And uh, 
It's like, oh yeah, I remember when I was a little kid, we used to go to the movies, but nobody does that anymore, you know? And it's funny because if you've kept up with the business at all, like it's really interesting that the movie studios have been wanting to move to an all digital distribution system for a while with theaters. But I think that they, if they can figure out a way of doing pay-per-view in a, in a way that's more profitable even than, than doing theater distribution, they'll do it in a second and let the theaters rot. Yeah. Um, and I think they've, this is kind of their opportunity because like they don't have big, um, you're not going to do a big theater opening this year. You know? But, but, you but why, go, I, I'm sorry, finish your thought. I'm... No, it's just, I don't, you know, this summer there's a, this is when we would have had a bunch of big blockbuster movies in theaters and there's just not, happening this year even though theaters are technically open i had a friend that went a couple weekends ago to watch an opening night movie and it was he said there were three people in the whole theater jeez so um i'm, yeah, I'm just, kind of of the mind though of uh let them rot you know i mean what why did yeah, why did i don't i mean why did we have I'm, theaters in the first place we had them because people didn't have giant screens in their houses and way yeah. to project you know movies in them now now it's we becoming, do <laughs> it's becoming a hard business to justify for sure i'm yeah. a little agnostic about it i mean i i understand people in nostalgia for that experience and it is a little different experience to watch a movie in a theater but i don't really have any like particular um fondness for it necessarily i like the idea that theaters exist i like the idea that like uh, like when Ju when Justin's movie came out or um, when my movie screen, I got to see it in a room full of people mm -hmm. that I didn't know, which was very yeah, cool from that, my yeah. point of view. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that that's the future of film distribution at all. I think yeah. there's a there's a place for theater exhibition, but not necessarily Well, and maybe along those lines in terms of a premiere, that's what it could end up being is more of a one-time event. You know, yeah. you see it now yeah, and like then it, after that, you go see it at home. Yeah, it's just I don't know how you build a business around that. Yeah. You know, other than film festivals, you know, and like our film uh, festivals going to own theaters now. I don't know. I mean, I, I hope I, if anything is killed off by the digital distribution of films, I hope it's film festivals first. <laughs> I don't know. I think film festivals. I run hot and cold on film festivals. I think they're important um, in some ways. In some ways, I think they're there's a, a lot of bit, them. A little oversaturated, I think. Uh, but uh, I think that uh, having an event around films is a good idea, and I think it's an important idea. And I think that, uh, uh, like, you know, having I think that having physical events where people get together and like celebrate an art form is an important <laughs> thing, and that's what film festivals are. Mm -hmm. So. I'm just bitter because all of the film festivals that I submitted to rejected me. That's the only reason I, I, had, the, I, had, the, I had the exact same experience. So, like, and I was I like, mean, "Why all these stupid gatekeepers get to make these decisions?" Yeah, you know? yeah so. but but you know, I mean, you have to. I, I I mean, they can't accept everything. You know, I thought so. my film would and, be, and you never, and you never. Here's the thing: there's probably a film festival that would have accepted your film. You just think have enough money to apply to enough to, all to find them, that yeah. one. Yeah, you know, I thought mine would so. be a, a shoe in for the indie Memphis Film Festival because it's Memphis and it's a music mm -hmm. film, and there's like three or four people from Memphis that are heavy hitters in the Memphis music scene in my film. I'm like, oh, this will be no problem. Here's my sixty dollars. And then, um, nope. <laughs> like, come on, guys. Yeah, I got invited to submit to a film festival, and then they rejected it. Oh, really? 
I thought for sure I was like, oh, they want me to submit. They they definitely want my movie, and then they and then they said, sorry, we, we we're not going to screen wow. your movie. And I'm like, what the? But here's the thing: is I think it. I mean, I understand getting together is one thing, and that's a different dynamic. But you could easily curate an online film festival. You know, you could easily. Well, all film festivals are online now. I just I, I just watched a couple of them just recently. So, I what mean, do you mean? All you watched- online. You watched an online well, film festival? The St. Louis Filmmaker Showcase was all online this year. Oh, really? It's a mini film festival. There's, there's, And I think there's been a number of film festivals since South by South. So South by Southwest just got canceled. But there were a number of, of film fest, smaller film festivals that have happened worldwide this spring, and they've all been online. Hmm. And so they, they don't have any physical... Uh, events at all they, they it was all online curated and there's a whole new and they're all distributed system. online like you can actually watch the films online you buy a ticket to a special um i forgot what this what film but st louis international film or the st louis filmmaker showcase used but it, it's an app that you can get on your roku or your uh apple tv or whatever and you buy a t- you buy a pass. You can either buy a single movie pass, or you can buy a pass to the whole festival. And you mm-hmm. have that weekend or whatever the time frame is that they have all the films up to watch. And you can vote mm-hmm. on them there, you know, for awards and things like that. And but yeah, it's a whole, you know, I mean, there's a whole new film festival industry that's happening online now, and it's because of COVID, you know, because nobody's having right. physical events in, right this year. So. And I think that, like, after this is all over, I think people are going to miss that. And I think that film festivals and things like that are going to come back big. I don't think the exhibition business is necessarily going to come back. But I think that film festivals and conferences and events like that, yeah. I think people are going to miss that. I think people miss that stuff now. because For me, it's more about seeing fellow filmmakers and people in the industry. Yeah, <laughs> there's a whole thing that happens at a film festival that's more that's that's beyond just screening the films mm-hmm. there's like can it, business connections that are made there's creative connections that are made there's discussions that happen around the festival itself and a lot of it is just the opportunity to sort of meet a whole whole nother group of people that are into something that you're really into and i think that you know it's it's really almost impossible to replicate that mm-hmm. online my circle of friends is much larger now uh, having been in those communities and gone to sure. film festivals than it was yeah. five years ago. It's, I mean, it really is. There's a community that develops around these events, you know. So, um, all right, guys, let's um, let's try to wrap this up. I think we're we're well over an hour here now. So, um, I dug this. Uh, What's that, Bill? <laughs> I mean, I, I am editing it. So, <laughs> I know, but it's your I also responsibility have- now. I also have to go to bed. That's why I'm saying when we start recording at nine o'clock, it's tough for me to go for a long time. You know, usually we were starting at like two o'clock in the afternoon. We would just go for for however long. But um, I I enjoyed it, man. Justin, I appreciate you bringing it to us. I I do. I really appreciate you coming on talking about it. Um, I again, the the movie's called Recording in Progress. Justin's movie. uh, Go everywhere. I see right now. It's on Prime Video. Uh, You can rent it for three ninety nine cheap as hell it's the purchase so. price on it uh it varies but yeah 10, I mean, it doesn't 10, doesn't give it 12. to me here which one which one gives you the biggest cut that's yeah. a good question i don't <laughs> actually know the answer to because i'll go buy it on that platform <laughs> it's probably i bet it's i bet it's apple t or iTunes. probably iTunes apple yeah gave, yeah I, th- I think you're right 
Yeah. Well, and are, Apple did does a better job, I think, with paying the artists on their music. Uh, yeah, definitely. Well, t- I think titles the highest, and Apple's the second highest, I believe, yeah. with YouTube being abysmal and Spotify it's, being slightly less abysmal. Oh, you're talking about for music, yeah. though. I was gonna say I didn't yeah. think I didn't think Title did movies, but um, they may they might get into. Then it. go buy Justin's movie on uh, on iTunes or Apple or anywhere you want. Whatever but, yeah. service you use. I thought okay, one one last thought on this film, and, and then I have some recommendations on things that people should watch if they like this film. Um, I was not a big fan of Keanu Reeves in this film. <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't think. I mean, I, love I Keanu. don't know. It's good. I like Keanu. I didn't like him in this movie. I just don't think. I mean, he his narration. He's a terrible voice. Yes, guy. I had the same thought. Uh, production quality in general in this film was not great. No, yeah. And his narration was not helping that because he's, he's like, kind of okay, He's a good interviewer, I think. And well, he was I a thought good... he came across as a, as a fan, as like a yeah. real fan of films Correct. and as like a real student of the industry. But yeah, like you said, that's he doesn't have the voice for it. That's for sure. Yeah, his narration wasn't great, but I think his interview technique was good. And I think him doing those interviews was good because he was he's obviously a very well-known industry guy mm-hmm. so like a lot of these big directors probably people he'd him. work with opened up to him as a peer yeah. whereas mm-hmm. if he had come in there as just an unknown filmmaker mm-hmm. you know it doing these interviews they may not have like felt as comfortable talking to him yeah. you know and um so I don't know. I just wanted to get that in there. A couple things I think that people should watch uh be- if they like this film is um god damn it <laughs> well first of all it's a podcast it's not a something you can watch is a podcast called the business which is they talk about digital uh the impact of the digital changes that are happening in media all the time it's kcrw podcast mm-hmm. it's called the business and it's really um it's a public television or public radio um uh, podcast, but it's it's Santa Monica, so it's like all industry people there. So it's you know the sort of an insider baseball kind of thing, which I felt like a lot of this film was. Um, and then there was that film that Dave Grohl came out with a couple of years ago. I'm drawing a blank on it. Oh, now. Sound City. Um, Sound City, yeah. which is about um, which is also probably would pair well with your film. Yeah, as well. there's there's um, a number of parallels so, there. Yep. So. Um, so those are two recommendations I'd have. Cool, Justin. Do you, did you not that I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot here for a second? But you said earlier that you had a hard time picking which film. Did you have any any runners up or honorable mentions of documentaries that you you almost picked um, to, to discuss? Yeah, one one that I thought of was um, Artifact. It's a film about uh 30 seconds to mars making their record i think it was this is war and kind of going through uh they got dropped from uh emi and then emi sued them for like 30 million dollars while they were making that record wow yeah it was it was crazy um that that was pretty well done documentary um but i i don't know i i kind of came across this one because it (laughs) it it's like the film sister to my film. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. It felt like it. Yeah, so. it's good. All, All right. right, man. Well, thanks again. I really appreciate yeah, thank you, you coming on and, and uh, taking the time to do this. Awesome. All right, guys. See ya. <laughs>